right, well, good morning, church. My name is Justin, one of the pastors and elders here at Peninsula Grace, and we're excited. This is the last week in the book of Ephesians we've been studying through, and next week uh, we're going to go back toward the beginning of the Bible and walk through the book of Exodus for the next three months. We're excited to jump into that. But to start off this morning, I need a volunteer, and I'm specifically looking for a high school male. So if you're a high school male who wants to volunteer, and I always say volunteer first, ask for what you're volunteering for second, um, high school male, who do I got out there? Right there, there it is, Paxton. Get up here, buddy. You might recognize, give it up for Paxton. <laughs> Joyfully volunteered by his father, I think. Um, all right, Paxton. I, uh, have you seen Lord of the Rings? Yes. All right, and did you know that they're actually talking about making that into a book soon? That's going to be really exciting. <laughs> I'm kidding. So I, I want you to picture Paxton for a second. Um, that you are at Helm's Deep, okay? And I, I'm going to give a visual for all of our people out there. All right, so you're at Helm's Deep, and there are thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of orcs coming toward you. How do you feel in this moment? Not great. Yeah, that's a great answer. You're not great. No, I wouldn't be either. That's subtle, but, but true. All right, now, I, I, do you feel right now, do you feel ready for battle? No. Great answer. Uh, first service, Isaiah Dixon said he was. That cocky little... And, so, so... I'm your leader. Picture me as Aragorn, okay? I, I got my long, flowing, burnet locks, like I'm sultry, might have a little bit of danger in my past, right? But you can trust me, right? Can you, yeah. Do you feel like you can get an answer? Now, here, here's the deal. I have got your marching orders ready for you, and there are three things I want you to do to be able to stand up against all these orcs coming. Are you ready? Will you obey what I tell you to do? Both my heroes. Good, good caveat, right? <laughs> all right, so first thing is I want you to put on some armor, all right? You stay right there. I'll be right back. I heard that. All right, so first thing, we need you to put on this armor, all right? So don't worry. You're going to be super protected. With it. I'm sorry to mess up that hair. That looks so nice. Oh, we missed completely. <laughs> all right, don't worry about helping me, Paxton. I got it. Just, you know, stand there, and I'll do all the work. I'll preach. I'll put on the armor. You just... Have a good time. All right, so now we're going to got this super protective helmet, and now the gel is just obliterated. Now, this is, uh, I actually got this from the Bethlehem Visited folks down at College Heights. It's like a real, so we're going to hide this afterward, or I'm afraid that some first grader is going to kill somebody. So be careful. Hold that, though. And then your super protective uh, shield that Mattel made, I think. So, um, all right, now, you're ready. You feel ready? Now, so first of all, you put on the armor. Now, second command, ready? Stand there. <laughs> You're nailing that one, you right? <laughs> High school boys, like, I can chill with the best of them. Now, the third thing I want you to do, when you see the tens of thousands of orcs running toward you, all I want you to do is look over at me, all right, and just yell, help! Help! That was good. That was good. Even a little bit deeper than, than I was. That's great. Uh, now, does that seem like a winning strategy to you? No, <laughs> it does not. Like, you probably think, what, what do we need? We need more people to help us. You want to put your sword into action, go samurai on some orcs. Yeah, you think you could, you think you could take some orcs out? All right, and, and, and ultimately, it sounds like you don't really trust me as, as a leader. We'll work on that trust relationship. Now, here's the deal. Paul, as he closes his epic letter in the book of Ephesians, he, this is one of the most famous passages, and he's talking about the armor of God. And in this, he says, we have an enemy, and this enemy is real, it's large, and it's nasty. And, and, he, and he says, this enemy also hates us. 
and it wants to destroy us. And, and he said, but he gives this mar these marching orders to the church at Ephesus. And, and just like I walked through with, with Paxton here, he, he doesn't say, we sing the song, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching as to War. He doesn't say that. What he says is three things. He says, put on the armor. Then he says, stand and scream for help. All right. Hey, who's preaching here, Paxton? All right. I'm, I'm kidding. He says, he actually, he says, pray. He says, look to Jesus and yeah, scream for help. Let's give it up for Paxton, everybody. That was, that was amazing. No, you can't keep it, Paxton. Man, just you give a mouse a cookie. All right. All right. Thanks, buddy. Now, so here, here's the deal. We we have seen, we know, we've been walking through this letter. And we were, Jesus is has, oh, there's the armor of God. Um, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, he has defeated sin, death, and Satan forever. He reigns as the victorious, resurrected God of, of the universe. And, and, and now he is calling out a new humanity over which he will rule and reign for the rest of eternity. That's what we have to look forward to. But he will not go unopposed. And what we see here, before, before Paul closes out his letter, he huddles the Ephesians up and he goes, look at me. We have an enemy. And I need you. I need you to know who that enemy is. I need you to know how that enemy operates. And I need you to know who we are standing with to face this enemy. Who the enemy is, how we stand against, and who we're standing with. That's where we're going in this final passage in Ephesians together. So first of all, let's look at who we stand against. Two important things he wants to show us at the opening of this section. The first one is we need to know who the enemy is. Now imagine that we had the, we, there's the most powerful army on the earth. In, in Paul's day, that would have been the Romans with their chariots and horses, their swords and their shields. Today, you might think of jets and tanks and guns. But no matter how powerful that enemy is... If we come to find out that uh, the army is, we come to find out that the enemy's tactics, are, our, our armor, our swords are not going to be effective against. Maybe, maybe the enemy is bringing in a chemical warfare. Some of you uh, remember the, the, the Agent Orange brought in Vietnam, right? And no sword is going to slice through that chemical. We need to know, first off, from Paul here, who our enemy is so that we can know how to engage that enemy effectively. And what he says in verse 12 of, of Ephesians chapter 6, the CSB version will be up on the screen. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. So impor important to see here, it's not other humans. It's not flesh and blood. It's not other people. And honestly, we often get this wrong in the church. And we see other people as the enemy. Whether it's politically, you see the Republican or the Democrat as the enemy. Or even when we think of religion, it's not the Muslim that we're fighting. It's not the atheist. They're not the enemy. And we need to learn how to see other people correctly. What did Paul say in Ephesians 5? He said we're to submit to one another in love. We need to learn how to serve other people, whoever it is. And, to, and see them, maybe picture in your mind's eye, the person that you're like the most angry at right now, and for some of us that can be a painful mental exercise, Who, whoever that is, what he's saying here is that ain't the enemy. That we're actually called to see other people as, as captives, to help free from their sin, to help and to serve in love, not stand against. So who is that person in your life right now that you need to change how you see them? Not as an enemy, 
but as somebody to love and to serve. He said it's not flesh and blood. What he does say, it's not against other people, but it is against the devil and his evil spiritual forces. He says that we uh, are against, the, it's against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So what he says here, the, the real battle is being waged against evil, right? It's being against Satan and his cronies. Now, we know that Satan, the evil forces work in humans, and it works through humans, but it's not the humans themselves. Now, we don't know what all these terms mean as far as rulers and authorities and what exactly he's differentiating here, but there are some implications. One of them is this is an organized bunch. This isn't a bunch of demon monkeys just flying around willy-nilly. They have a strategy, right? There's order. We also see here that they're powerful. It talks about the evil, the powerful forces. We know like in, in, the, in the, the superhero movies, like you can just kind of, they, the, the superhero just touches a bad guy and he falls over. They're all easy to kill until you get to the boss and he pushes back a little bit, right? These are powerful forces not to be trifled with. And finally, he says that they're evil, that they, they want to kill. They're not good. They're liars. They are, they are, and, and they're against us. They're against what is good. And that means they're going to fight dirty. They're going to play by the rules of war. Are you kidding me? So we cannot. Here, here's the deal. We, not, we need to know who the enemy is so we can fight them effectively. This is not a physical enemy. And therefore, it's not a physical battle. Or we'll be slicing through chemicals. So what kind of weapons and warfare do Satan and his posse engage us with? We need to know the enemy. And we need to know how they fight. The book called Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, uh, it's, it's imaginatively a, an uncle demon writing to his kind of understudied nephew demon. And at the outset in the introduction of the book, it says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, the evil spiritual forces. One is to disbelieve in their existence, not even think that they're a real thing. But the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. It says they themselves, the evil forces, are equally pleased with, by both errors, and hail a materialist and, or a magician with the same delight. And now there are some, probably even some here, who maybe have an unhealthy obsession with the spirit world, or we can say there's a, the devil under every rock, or we're always blaming Satan for everything, or uh, we know, like, there, there's a lot of dabbling in, in, the, in the dark spiritual world, more than is usually seen on paper. But my guess is, in the material West, most of us here are erring on the other side. To even believe that there is such a thing as Satan beyond just a funny Halloween costume. And by the way, he loves that. Verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes here is a word that means a cunning art or deception, deceit, right? A craft or, or my, my favorite one there, trickery. Now, the devil uses deceit. He uses trickery. Uh, Sun Tzu, in the, the famous book, The Art of War, he says this. He says that all warfare is based on deception. It's based on trickery. And, and, and another uh, famous philosopher, Kaiser Soze, he said it this way. He said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. That he doesn't even exist. Now, if I gave us all a Bible quiz and before you and there was a checkbox, yes or no, um, Satan and his and the and the demons are real, most of us would check the yes box, right? We'd say, yeah, I, the Bible says that. But we say that belief is evidenced by life. And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but most of the time in my life, I do not live as though Satan and the evil forces are actually real. 
And this is exactly what he wants, right? He wants us to get cocky. He wants us to get comfortable. And he's not going to show up with horns and a pitchfork. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he comes as an angel of what? As an angel of light. Or as Uncle Screwtape says, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. But we know what the Bible, the truth says. 1 Peter 5 says that the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour. So how does Satan prowl? Uh, the good news is, the Bible says that Satan has been defanged at the cross. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But his only weapon that he has in his disposal against us is his lying tongue. Jesus taught about this in John 8. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Why? Because he is a liar and the father of lies. This is where all lying began. And we know this has been his game since the garden, right? How did he slither into the garden? As a lying snake. And he got to Eve and Adam through lies. You can't trust God. Is he really for you? Is he holding out on you? Got them to doubt God's word, to find him untrustworthy. And through nothing but a lie, he murders Adam and Eve. And sin enters into the world through death. Death through sin. And he's up to the same tactics today. This is what the devil does. He comes at us with lies. Lies of despair. This would be the idea of, of that I'm too bad. This is the shame and condemnation that we experience. And we think, God couldn't love me. God couldn't accept me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what's been done to me? It's too much. Right? It's too far coloring outside the lines. I'm not good enough. Or on the other side, the lies of delusion. I would say, I'm actually, I'm actually too good, right? I, I am good enough. I can fight this on my own. I don't need him. I certainly can't trust him. I'm going to do it my way. And we take a bite of the fruit. And we said Satan loves to convince us that he doesn't even exist. So a lot of times, these thoughts, these lies, are going to come into our heads in the first person. In other words, it's not going to be Satan on our shoulders going, you, you, you. It's going to come into our mind as I. I'm not good enough. I'm too sinful. I've got this. And it seems like it's coming from ourselves. This isn't a game. This is effective lying that leads to destruction and ultimately death. These are murderous lies. We see this play out all the time. These lies lead us to the rejection of other people. In our pride, we say, I'm better than you, or I'm afraid of you. And it leads us to all sorts of hatred and, and infighting and cliques and racism and murder and genocide. If you were at Kenai High School last night learning about the human trafficking going on around the world, these are the lies from where those things stem. Not only the rejection of others, but even the rejection of ourselves. The idea of, I'm too dirty. I, I'm not good enough. I'm unacceptable. It leads to self-condemnation, self-hatred, and even to suicide. And ultimately, these lies lead us to a rejection of God himself. I can't trust him. I'm certainly not going to bow the knee to Jesus. And this leads to an eternity in hell apart from him. Satan's lies have murderous ends. So if Satan and, his, and, and the evil are real and his tactics are lies, how does Paul call us to respond to such an enemy? Let's look at the second idea of how we stand against. 
Imagine that you and I were camping, and I told you there's a bear in the campgrounds, okay? Glad I gave you a heads up, aren't you? Now, would you be like, cool, pass the s'mores? No, you're going to freak out, right? Alaskan guys, not me, I got a gun. Okay, let's just say for a second, you don't have a gun, you don't have bear spray, you're just helpless, okay? I know that's hard for you to imagine. <laughs> but let's say I say, I'm going to give you a magic suit and a magic stick. <laughs> you're like, I'm an Alaskan guy. What are you, you're weird. So as long as you wear this suit and as long as you hold this, uh, this stick, in the words of the philosopher M.C. Hammer, he can't touch this. Now, there's still a healthy fear of the bear, right? You're still going to remain vigilant if there's a bear in the campground that wants to eat you. But with the suit on and the stick in hand, I don't have to be afraid. That bear comes up to me growling, I'm going to eat you. That's my bear voice. I'm going to look back at that bear and say, bear, you are a liar. You can't touch me. We don't have to be afraid of the devil and the evil forces in this world. But we must be soberly aware of them. And we must hold on to the armor that God has given us. Or real damage will be done. So how do we do that? What does that look like? It's interesting, in the CSB version, there's a little subheading, as you often see, like in italics in your Bible. And it's called Christian warfare. Now, when we hear warfare, what comes to our mind? We think of fighting, advancing, going to attack the enemy. But it's interesting here, that's not the language that Paul uses. He doesn't say fight. He doesn't say go to battle or release your inner Chuck Norris, right? What, look at the verb commands given in this passage. He says, put on the armor. He says, stand with that armor on. Resist and pray. Stay alert. Just like my crazy strategy with Paxton earlier. Stand there with this armor on and yell for help. Now, why this weird war cry? Why this? Why stand? Why not advance? Why not? Well, the reason is because, listen, guys, the fight has already been fought. The battle has already been won. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it proved that his work was finished. This is what we said at the beginning of Ephesians. It opened up who we are in Christ. And Paul says, my prayer is that you would understand the power that's in you. He says, do you have any idea of this power? This is the same power of God, he says, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. That is the position of authority and power over everything. He says, now he is far above what? What do we just read about in Ephesians? The evil rulers and authorities and powers. What does it say here? Now he is far above any ruler, any authority, every power, every other leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come forever and ever. God has put what things? He has put what things? Can he, what, he's put what things? All right, 9 a.m. was louder than you guys. Come on. Under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over what things? A little bit better. And this is why Christ came. Because all the way back in the garden, right after they believed those lies and Satan did his murderous work, there was a promise. There was a promise that a deliverer was going to come and it was going to crush the head of that liar. And Jesus said, this is why I came. I'm the snake crusher. First John, the son of God came. Why? To destroy the works 
of the devil to undo the sin and death that was unleashed into this world through his effective lies. And you know what? The mission was accomplished. Colossians 2 says he disarmed. This is past tense. Jesus did this when he rose from the dead. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Satan has been fatally wounded, but he's not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I think I'll go for a walk. You're not fooling anyone. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Some of you think that's funny. Some of you are so confused right now. I got a video recommend, and then you'll be video. See, I'm dating myself. I got a VHS you can check out. <laughs> Satan is still roving this earth. Ephesians 2 called him the prince of the power of this air. Like there's a temporary ruling that Satan has. And he's at work in the sons of disobedience. Those who are listening to the lies of this imposter ruler. And just like, you know, in a game where a, a, a sport where in the fourth quarter, teams getting blown out, like it's over. They got the mercy rule going, clock is running, right? Satan has lost, but he is going to make this fourth quarter as ugly as possible. And he is going to try to create as much chaos and take as many people down as he can while he sinks in his ship. So Paul says three things in light of this reality. Three commands here. The first one is to stand. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Resist. Take your stand. Stand, therefore. You see the theme, right? This word means to, to be immovable, to stand Firm. He says, dig in your heels and do not give up this ground. You notice here, and in the, in the Roman era, the, all the armor was on in the front. The idea was, as long as you're standing firm, you're protected. But the minute you turn around to go to run, your backside is exposed. It's only when we run in fear that the enemy can be effective. But here's the deal. We are not playing some like global game of risk with Satan. Well, we're trying to advance and capture countries, and he's trying to attract capture countries, and we're both racing for Australia, because if you've played Risk, Australia is obviously the most strategic place, right? We're not racing after territory. He doesn't say, advance, go take other land, beat Satan to it. What does he say? Stand right where you are. Why would Paul give that crazy piece of advice, right? Paxton knew it was a bad idea. Doesn't Paul? Well, here's the deal. Jesus said in John 16, take heart, because why? I have overcome the world. Jesus has already over the game of risk is over. Like every square inch of this earth is now under the authority and the reign of King Jesus. He already won. The reason we don't need to advance is because right now today we are standing on blood-bought ground. Or as we sing at Easter time, love's redeeming work is done. Hallelujah. Fought the fight. Who did? Jesus fought the fight, and the battle is won. Hallelujah. But if you're like me, I stand, I fail to stand on a daily basis. Anxiety, anger, I run, I hide, I get lazy, I get complacent, I get cocky. So how does Paul say that we stand? Second command, put on the full armor of God. Finally, he says, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that... You can stand against the schemes of the devil. So how do we stand? Well, he says, so that. There's a cause and effect. If you, put on the, you, you will stand if you put on the armor of God. Now, notice here, it's not our strength. 
He says, by his vast strength. Be strengthened by the Lord. Put on the Lord's armor. And, 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 and thank the Lord that this is not up to our own strength and our own devices or we would be up a creek. We're not left to ourselves, though. And so look at the, he describes what this armor is that he put on. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Peace sandals. Very popular in the 1970s. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this is, it says the armor of God, but I think this means more than just God gave us some armor, that it comes from him. So Paul grew, was a Pharisee growing up. He was trained. And, and most, most Pharisees had, now, they had most of the, if not all of the Old Testament memorized. Think about that. The first 39 books of the Bible memorized. So Paul knows he's an Old Testament scholar. And very likely, he's riffing on this prophecy from Isaiah 59 that uses very similar language. Let's look at that prophecy. It says, yes, truth is gone. What do we say Satan's scheme is? Lies, deception. He says, yes, truth is gone. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. So God is there in Israel on, in that day, and he's looking out amongst his chosen people. And he says, I'm looking out at the land of Israel, and I see no justice. You are walking in the schemes of the devil. There's no righteousness. There's no justice. Then he goes on to say, he was amazed. God was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. He looks around. He goes, who's standing up? Like, who's standing up for what's right? Who's standing up for what's just? And I think about that picture of David. Remember when David comes into the Israelite camp and he goes, this guy's, this guy's taunting us. Who's going to stand up against Goliath? And he's looking around at all these people who are older and stronger and better trained than him. And they're all cowards. He goes, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll go do it. And God looks around and he goes, who's going to stand up? No one will. So God says, he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustaining them. God says, I'll do it. And it says, he put on, and here's Paul's language, he put on righteousness as his body armor. I recognize the providence of God. I, I, just, I always just pull the next polo shirt off the shelf and look at today. Under Armour. I mean, come on. That's, that's good. That's, you, know, you know we're in a good place today. Righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Who is this? God says, I myself will somehow intervene down here on earth in the affairs of man to bring justice and righteousness and salvation to the people of Israel. Who's going to be that? Well, verse 20 says, the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem. Isaiah prophesies of the Messiah, the anointed one, who will come armored with righteousness and salvation. It's important to see here, Paul doesn't say, arm yourself. He, he doesn't command the Ephesians to have more faith. He doesn't say, be righteous. He doesn't say, make peace. He doesn't say, save yourself. What does he say? Put on my armor in my strength. And this exact same language of put on the armor of God is used other places to speak of Jesus himself. In, in Romans 13, Paul says, put on, put on the Lord Jesus. And here's even better news. 
it's not just that we as believers need to go find Jesus and put him on. Galatians 3 says this, all who have been united with Christ, and how that happened? By when we trusted him as Lord and Savior, placed into him through baptism, have put on Christ. He's saying, as a believer, we already have Christ on. And this has been the entire argument of the book of Ephesians. Walk out who you already are in Christ. Put him on because you have him on. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not up to us to be these things. Jesus was these things for us. And today, he is these things in and through us. If you don't believe me, let's look at what the word of God says. Look at this armor of God again. This is, this is Jesus. The belt of truth. What did Jesus come to say? I am the truth. You put me on. The, the, the breastplate of righteousness. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are in Christ who became for us righteousness. He's our, what is it? Righteousness means right standing or a right relationship with God. How do we have right standing with our God? Only in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, put on these peace sandals. In, in Ephesians 2, we saw he himself is our peace. It's Jesus that makes peace between us and God. It's Jesus, his peace itself that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Shield of faith. What about our faith? Hebrews 12. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Even our trust in God is from Jesus and it's made perfect. It's grown, it's strengthened through the person of Jesus. And that helmet of salvation we have on, what did Paul say to his protege Titus? Christ Jesus is our savior. He's our salvation. What about that sword of the spirit? Well, what's inside of us? Galatians 4 says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And it said what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what do we see in the beautiful poem at the opening of John's gospel? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Every piece of our armor, the reality of it is found in the person of Jesus himself. Put on Jesus because you have Jesus. Now, you say, that sounds great, Justin, but that's like way up here. I don't know how to put that like where I live. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the last thing we're going to see is the practical. Out what do we do? Because we're not called to do nothing. I got the armor on. I'm just going to lay in bed until I die. Right? What do we do? This is the third command. Is pray. Pray. Verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit and every with, with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. He says, here's what you're to do. What does it look like to walk this out with the armor on? You pray. We are people of prayer. John Piper talks about it this way. He says, prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie. We just saw that we're in a battle. And, and what do we do? A prayer is our connection with God himself. Not just talking about a list of requests. I'm talking about a living conversation and awareness of the living God himself. And so what does this look like? Well, I love Neil Anderson. Um, he said it this way. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we are not talking about a power encounter. We are talking about a truth encounter. See, we're not arm wrestling or full body wrestling Satan and trying to overpower the evil forces. Why? Because their power is done, right? He's been disarmed at the cross. And so we don't fight with power. We fight with truth against his lies. So how do we walk this out? Well, we know. We've seen from this, this, this whole book of Ephesians. Here's who we are, Paul says, in Christ. 
all Satan can do, listen, all Satan can do is try to get us to doubt and not trust who we are in Christ. That's all, that's the only tactic he's got left in his bag. And so we put feet to this. What does this look like practically? As the devil, as the, as the lion himself roams around our campsite, and we start hearing those lies whispered, usually in those I statements. And we hear, we, we, we start to feel anxious, angry, depressed, laissez-faire. It can manifest itself in many different ways. But what we do is we jump on the walkie-talkie and say, Lord, what lie am I believing here? What lie am I believing? And what does your word say is true? Maybe you're hearing the lie, I'm too dirty. I am too sinful. Right? And, that, and that creeps in. He's slow. He's, he's going to slowly get you to these places. I'm not good enough. I'm too sinful. We identify the lie because the truth of God's word, and we need to claim specific lie, specific promises, brothers and sisters. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We look at Satan and we say, you are a lying lion. And as long as I'm wearing this armor, you can't touch me. Satan, you used to be right. Because here's the deal. Before Christ, he was right, right? Like we were condemned. We were in our sin. But now in Christ, he's dead wrong. That's why Satan has no more power against us. We, we, we are free and alive in Christ. And so here's what happens. When you turn the light of that truth on, Satan and his cronies, they scatter like cockroaches from a light. I love what Daryl Dash said about this. He said, this is why the two most important things we can do, here's what we do as a church, are to continually dwell in what God's word tells us about the gospel. We've got to stay in the truth, stay in the light. What is the good news about who Christ is and who we are in him? And then to rely on the Lord's power through prayer. bulletins in your little sermon handout there's a little chart that we we put in there of our identity in Christ here's what Ephesians says what we've just been studying the last few months here's who we were before Christ and here's who we now are in Christ and my encouragement would be this week put that somewhere accessible on your phone with a picture or in your pocket and man that would that be a reorienting resource throughout the week here's what God says I am even when I'm hearing whispers to the contrary here's reality and we get on that walkie-talkie, and we cry out to our Lord, God, I'm believing lies. I'm believing lies. Would you give me the grace to trust you more? Help me to walk in the light. Help me to walk in the reality of who I actually am in Christ. And here's what William Cooper says so beautifully about it. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest of Christians on his or her knees. But... We don't do this alone. Paxton was standing up here alone. We're not actually alone. I'm going to get you some buddies, Paxton. Last point here. Who do we stand with? Last summer at VBS, uh, for a closing illustration, I brought our children's coordinator up front, who also happens to be my little sister. And we stood her on the stage, and we had this uh, string kind of rope thing swinging uh, from a ladder. And on the end of it was a bowling ball swinging back and forth under this super stable aluminum ladder I said, Janelle, I want you to stand right here. Stand firm. And we've measured this thing out. 
The bowling ball is going to get awful close, but it's not actually going to hit your nose. Not a nose hair will be tickled. Not that my sister has nose hair. We're going weird directions here. Now, I told her, stand firm right where you are and you will be free from harm. Reality was, it was hard for her to trust what her big brother was telling her because of years of condemning evidence to the contrary, right? <laughs> so we invited some of her friends up on stage with her. So Mindy held her right hand and Brandy held her left hand. And they whispered truths into her ear. Your brother's a great guy. <laughs> you can trust him, right? He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the truth. Wait, we're getting into it. Um, so the bowling ball swung. And with, with her friends reminding her of truth in hand, the ball actually was going to clear her. You see it flying up there. Now, you notice how she leaned back? Totally didn't trust me, right? Totally. It, it failed. All the kids were like, we can't trust Jesus. This whole <laughs> illustration fell apart. But listen, there are times in our lives when it's going to feel like the bowling ball is coming straight for your face. And in that moment, it's, it's scary, right? It, it's scary. And so Paul closes his beautiful letter by saying, brothers and sisters, we've got to link arms. We've got to hold each other's hands, and we've got to remind each other of the truth that no matter how close Satan's bowling balls come to us, in Christ, they can't touch this. Listen for the language here as he closes the letter of, of trusting each other, praying for, excuse me, praying for each other, giving courage to one another. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Intercession means to pray on the behalf of another. It says pray for each other. And now the Apostle Paul himself will ask for prayer. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Paul says, I need you to help remind me of the truth so that I'll boldly continue to proclaim it and take that light into dark, dark places. And then he closes the letter by saying this. Tychicus, that's if you're looking for kids' names, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we, how we are and to encourage each other. Do you hear that? He says, I know you guys were concerned about me and I'm concerned about you, so I'm sending Tychicus. You see the care, the love they have for each other, so to give courage to each other and to pray for one another is necessary in this battle. Then he closes out by saying, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, and is that not what we need? Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the letter ends. He says, pray for each other. Give courage. That's what encourage means, to give courage to one another through prayer. If we're going to stand, if we're going to persevere, we cannot do this alone. We whisper truths to one another. I needed this. I needed a brother linking my arms, whispering truths to me over seven years ago when I was considering stepping into this role. I had never wanted to be a pastor. I did not feel qualified to be a pastor. And I actually wasn't qualified to be a pastor. Uh, and, and I was hearing lies 
Just said, you can't do this. You're not fit for this role. And my, my brother in Christ and my mentor, Larry, he calls me on the phone the night before this decision is to be made. And he said, Justin, could it be that you're fearing failure? That you, our church had been through some rough stuff. And he goes, if you step in right now, are you afraid that maybe you're not adequate for the task and it's all going to collapse and it's going to be your fault? I mean, and the Lord used him to nail exactly what I was experiencing and fearing. In that moment, I had a brother who loved me enough to link arms with me and remind me, encourage me into the truth. And the truth is, Jesus said, this is my church and the gates of hell ain't going to prevail against it. Justin, this church doesn't rise and fall on you. It rises and falls on me. And all I'm asking you to do is be faithful to the role I've called you to. I've got this. And he helped turn me from the lies that I was hearing chirped into my ears to the truth who I am in Christ. I am, I, guys, I need reminded of this truth every single week, every day, honestly, probably every hour. And that's why Thursday mornings... I need to get together with two or three of my brother. We get together every week in our discipleship group and remind each other of the truth. Pray for each other. Share scripture we've hidden in our hearts together to remind us of truth. We confess sin to one another. We repent to one another. Here's the lie I was thinking and help me change my mind to believe the truth. Every Thursday evening I get together with 10 to 15 of our brothers and sisters into each other's homes to pray together. To be in God's word together. To link arms and remind each other of the truth. That's what we're doing here. This is, we call this our pep rally. Because we come together on Sunday mornings to worship our God. And that reminds our souls of who he really is and who we really are in him. We buff up our armor and then we go back out. So that we can stand firm against the devil's schemes. And advance the salt and light into a dark and dying world. Gotta link arms. But ask yourself, do you, do you have these kind of people in your life? And I'm not, I'm not talking about just do you attend church on Sunday morning. I'm saying, do you have brothers and sisters in your life to link arms with? And, and they need you, and you need them, to remind each other of who we really are in Christ. We have an enemy. That enemy is real, and he is nasty. And he wants to undo us. He wants to destroy us. He has murderous intents in his lies. But Christ has won. And so we sing the song. A mighty fortress is our God. And my favorite, man, one of my favorite saints says, And through, though this world with devils filled, and he's out there in his evil forces, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth, the reality of who we are in Christ, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. Why? For lo, his doom is sure. And one little word shall fell him. That word is Jesus. James 4 says, submit to God. Resist the devil. And what's the promise? He will. He has to. He will flee from you. Let's suit up and let's stand together. Father, we thank you for fighting 
our battle, that you looked down in this world and saw that none of us could stand up against the stand up against injustice and evil that we see so rampant in our own hearts and in this world today. And you looked around and said, I'll do it. And just like David, who felled Goliath, scaled up like a serpent, falling to the ground and cutting off his head, the true and better David has come, fought our fight, and won our battle. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room that has yet to put on Jesus as Lord and Savior, today would be the day. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who have put him on, but have not been walking in that reality. Lord, I confess, I hear Satan's lies. That thing that I'm facing is too big. That thing I've done, or that circumstance I'm facing, or, or maybe some of us are hearing the lie today that I'm good, and they've just been kind of drifting, and they haven't even been thinking about Satan, nor God, nor anything else, just kind of doing their thing. When the reality is, we're each destined to die and face judgment, and only those in Christ will experience his peace now and forever. So I just pray today that your spirit and your word would do its effective work in our hearts. Turn our ear from the lie of Satan to the truth of your word of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross and out of the empty tomb. And we would walk in that victory, standing firm in the full armor of God. One little word has fell him, and his name is Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that all God's people said.